Your Bible, 1 John chapter 4 is where I would invite you to turn to. 1 John chapter 4 in the New Testament, page 863 in the church Bibles, if that would be of some help to you. While you're turning there, just let me tell you again, um, it's our pleasure to have you here, and I've enjoyed talking to a lot of you in between the services, and I also thank you for those kind words, and I just want to remind you that um, we always do our best to try to pray for your continued success and your recovery, and the stories, um, yeah, they're tremendously difficult to listen to, to be honest with you, but um, we know and pray uh, that God will bring restoration in the way that he um, knows best. So just by way of reminder, just in case I forget, when we eat together, there will be some name tags on the table with pens. And if you just put your first name on there, that way when we, we communicate with our friends, we would be able to call them by first name and not, not forget. So just keep that in mind just in case I forget. Well, let's read the Bible and then let's pray and um, seek the help that we need. This is 1 John 4. Let's begin in verse 8. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, We also ought to love one another. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's pray, and then we'll get on with it. Our gracious God and Father, how we give glory to your name, and we thank you for our testimonies that we've heard and the songs that we've sung to you and the songs we were able to listen to about you. We would now bow to your presence, Father. We would ask that your word would be our rule that your spirit would be our teacher. And we ask, God, that your greater glory be our supreme concern this morning so that in all things Jesus Christ would be looked to, he would be believed on, and he would be obeyed. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, there are many types of love in the world that God has made. For example, there is a type of love that is rooted in friendship and how wonderful it is to have one good and trusted friend. And many people in our day do not have even one good and trusted friend. The Puritans would ask God, and this is their language, for one bosom friend, one bosom friend that they could share absolutely everything with. And so there's a type of love rooted in friendship. There's also a type of love that's rooted in family. And so, for example, when a family gathers together, whether it be for meals or for play or for morning or evening prayers, there is in those moments a grace that God gives that surely would sweep over the mother and dad. And eventually, as the kids come to understand these things, a grace that would sweep over the kids and people would say, maybe in their mind or maybe even with their lips, just look what God has created. And, and oh, how I love you and you and you and for some of you and you and you and you and you. So maybe you would say something like, let's just hold each other for a while and enjoy this family love. And speaking of holding, there is also a romantic love. 
that God has given. And whether it is in dating with all its proper limits or with marriage and all its lovely liberties, romantic love is a gift that God has given to be enjoyed. But as lovely as all those loves may be, and they are, they are not ever going to be perfect. And there is a greater love which will never fail. In fact, this love is the root of all those other loves that I just spoke of. And this love is so great that the New Testament writers had to essentially redefine a word because there wasn't a specific word that, as they understood things, which was able to describe the kind of love that God had given to sinners in Christ by sending him to the cross. So, so the Greek language had no way to describe God's love in the sending of his son. In fact, if you, if you understand the word agape, we always understand it as unconditional love. The root of that word actually comes from loving the dead. So as you think about that, it begins to make sense. And I think that one of the great difficulties in living in our world at this time is that there are a great number of ways many are prepared to attempt to describe God's love to us their way. And so you have personal opinions and we have religious doctrines and we have religious gurus who, who would tell us this is God's love. And some of us may attach ourselves to certain teachers or to certain thoughts or feelings about God that we have held to and would never dream of letting go even if they are untrue. And of course there are the common problems of trying to politicize God's love or to personalize God's love, love simply to meet our own personal tastes. A synchronism is the technical word in which you get a cocktail of God's love and so you mix a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a dash of that and presto, you've just broken the second commandment and you made God's love in your own image. And so what we need is a word from God about God's love. And we have it here in 1 John 4. To be sure, it's not God's love in its entirety, but it is the foundation. And it is by way of necessity telling us of God's love. Because what we'll find in the Bible, and please listen to this, in every case in the New Testament which describe, describes God's love, it will always be in relation to sin, our sin, and the death of His Son. In other words, and check your New Testament this afternoon. You will not find any explanation in the whole of the New Testament which describes God's love for us and when it's not connected to the cross and it's not connected to the gospel, which it's not connected to the horror of our rebel sin. And in spite of that, God loves us so much that he sends his only son to pay for it. That's why John Bunyan, and it's hard to find people who speak like this, but that's why John Bunyan a long time ago said, it's not the heavy load of sin, but the discovery of mercy that makes a man or woman come to Christ. Get that? It's not the heavy load of sin, but the discovery of mercy that makes a man or woman come to Christ. Because we may be convicted of our sin without being ever really genuinely convinced that God loves us. We may be aware of the fact that we're in the wrong. While at the same time, not being aware that God's love for us is oh so tremendous, even as sinners. And it's only in the Bible where we discover the depth of our sin, which we need to know. We need to know that if we're going to ever appreciate the gospel. And the depth of God's love, which we need to welcome if we're ever going to enjoy the gospel. 
because it's only in the Bible where we find clearly and perfectly and faultlessly God is ready to pardon sinners and forgive us in Christ. And God calls this his love. And that's the title of our talk. The cross is the pulpit of God's love. And the points are real quick. We won't spend a tremendous amount of time. If you have a worship folder, you can see them there. Number one, where God's love is displayed. That's verse 9. How God's love is defined, that's verse 10. And what God's love demands, that's verse 11. And it's pretty straightforward. So first of all, where God's love is displayed. So John writes in verse 8, if you can see this, if your Bible's open. I hope it is. I hope your Bible's on your lap right now, open. It would be great if it was. Because how would you know what I was saying was true if you didn't see your Bible open on your lap? Verse 8, God is love, which simply means that the very origin of love is in the very being of God himself. So it's impossible to, to separate love of any kind without understanding the sacrificial nature of God. In other words, think of it like this. In our friendships and in our families and in our romantic love, there is to be a giving away of the self if it's truly to be called love. Because to have your way or you won't play in the family room or in the bedroom is a grotesque counterfeit of God's self-giving love. So, in the same way, because all love finds its origin in God, you'll see this in verse 9, that the display of God's love is in the sending of God's Son for sin. Verse 9, this is how God showed, if you have the King James Version, how God manifested, how God placard, how God displayed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Now, this is not the only way that God has displayed his love, but it's the most definitive way that God has displayed his love. And it's imperative that we understand this because in the ebb and flow of life under God, it means that we won't always have our friends. And we won't always have our families. And we won't always have our, our marriages with us. Things will not always be perfect. And we may not get a second chance. And yeah, you might have a 30 or 40 or 50 year run. But let me tell you what 19, 18 years of pastoral ministry has showed me. That when people do not understand God's love, when the difficult times come, so often they just buckle and cripple. Doubting God's love. Death will take them away. Arguments may take them away. And simply going to another place may take them away. And yeah, even sin. And in this, has God ceased to love us? John would say, no. Look at his son. And so let's think, say things got terrible like famine or disease or tribulation or hardship a la Romans 8. Do those things separate us from the love of God? Absolutely not. Okay, well, why not? Because what does Romans 8 say? Nothing can separate us from God's love because God makes everything perfect for so long for us. Is that what it says? No. What does it say? It says, nothing can separate God's true children from God's big love that is in Christ Jesus. That's in the death and resurrection and ascension and soon return of his son. That's what in Christ means. And loved ones, if we as Christians... Attach God's love for us based only on the trend of temporal circumstances, good or bad, or even our behavior as Christians, good or bad. We have a very poor understanding. In fact, we have a very immature understanding of God's love. So John writes, God displayed his love in the sending of his son. It, it is a sacrificial a gift. It is, it is eternal. 
And John goes on to say at the end of verse 9 that though we were dead in our sins, we might have life through him, life in Christ in all its fullness. So what is fullness? Well, ask yourself this. Why are, as Christians, we are forgiven? Why are we called, elected, adopted, justified, sanctified, made alive with, promised care for, love so clearly, will suffer for, and on and on we go. Why are those things so true? Well, there's only one reason. God sent Christ into this sin-sick world to give us life in Him. And this means, this means that every speck of our matter, every speck, speck of what makes us us is sacred because we're in Christ. So you may be here this morning and you have a tremendously big ego. That's not why. You matter. You may be here and you have not much of an ego. Well, that's not why you matter. The reason why we matter is because God sent his son into this world and every speck of us that's in Christ is in Christ. Loved ones, in the cross, there is no greater gift of God which could ever be known because no greater gift of God is possible. There is nothing more God could give us than his son. That's our first point, where God's love is displayed. Secondly, how God's love is defined. That's verse 10. You can see it there. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, that that God took the initiative. So the gift of God here is not merely the evidence of God's love or the result of God's love, but it's the very essence of God's love. It's the very definition of what it means that God is love. I mean, occasionally people say all these wild things that why God is love. No, no, here's the fact. At the cross, we see the very definition of what God is love means. So, so away with all this only uh, mere sentimentalism of how we understand God's love. It's not very helpful. In fact, let me make it personal. One day, I may lose my wife or she may lose me. I mean, the fact that we will not more than likely die together is just evident. Okay, when that day comes... The loss itself will be horrible, but it will have nothing to say of God's love for either of us. Nothing. Why not? Verse 10, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Life on this planet is just so brief. And life, real life, is way beyond this sphere. Our crosses and our losses no matter what they will be, will be our crowns in heaven. Hence, God sends Jesus to atone for our sin because that's the only way that we can get to heaven. Atonement. Well, what does atonement mean? Well, if you've been here long enough, you know what it means. Christ completely satisfying God's wrath on our rebel sin by sending his son Jesus to suffer and die on the cross. That's it. Christ completely satisfying God's anger and wrath on our sin By sending Jesus, his son, to suffer and die on the cross. Um, There's a hymn that has inscribed upon the cross, I see in shining letters, God is love. If God had not chosen to do this, all of us would still be dead in our sins and our trespasses. Because all of us have turned our back on God. All of us, by the very definition of of, of what our humanity means, means we are running from God. We were running from God. 
Bible says it like this, Romans 3.11. There is none that seeks God. No, not one. So you see, if we believe some of the notions that we hear, then we would believe that the sheep were actually looking for the shepherd. When the Bible says, no, no, no. The shepherd was looking for the sheep. God was searching for us because God had to search for us because the Bible says it over and over again in the New Testament. We were dead. We were spiritually dead to God. And unless God made the first move, we would remain that way. In other words, in our salvation, we were just like me when I was dating my wife. We didn't and we couldn't make the first move. Right? We didn't and we couldn't make the first move. We would just lock up when we'd see her in all her glory. I said it in the first service, I'll say it in the second service. And if that whole transaction didn't happen, whether it would be with Christ or with Nicole, there's no way I'd be up here this morning. And I'm more than sure that I'd be dead. Isaiah 53 says it pretty plain. We, everyone here like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us, everyone here has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Therefore, God has to take the initiative in dealing with sin's entry into this world with its penalty and with its power because not only are we helpless in this, it's impossible for God not to respond to evil without killing it, without destroying it. Therefore, the consequence of our sin will take place either in hell forever or has taken place on the cross already. And where we stand with Christ will determine which way we go. Hell, alre- hell for all eternity, heaven already. So the very definition of God, love, is God responding in love to sin. Is God sending Christ, his only son, to go, if you would, through hell so we would have a way of escape. John Stott on this says it like this. This is, verse, this is verse 10. The appeasement of the wrath of God by the Son of God through the love of God. Isn't that beautiful? The appeasement of the wrath of God by the Son of God through the love of God. And let me just add, because it all has to be from God. Because we can't know forgiveness apart from Jesus Christ. We sing the song here, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that what? What's the next line say? That he should send his only son to make a wretch his treasure. That's point number two. Number one, where God's love is displayed, verse nine, this is how God showed his love. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. How is God's love defined? Verse 10, atonement. God sent Jesus Christ to to take away our sin by swallowing it up all at the cross. And then final point, what, what God's love demands. Verse 11, you can see it there. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. John wrote the same thing in 1 John 3.16. This is how you know what love is. 
right? You want to know what love is? Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So John's line of thinking is pretty simple. Since God loved us sacrificially in his son, sacrifice is then the standard and the obligation of our love towards one another. In other words, our love won't mean a lick. It won't mean a lick if it doesn't cost. If it doesn't cost. And this is also why it's so terrible to live in this world because we know how to wiggle out of this because we can make ourselves think that we're so smart and we give pretend love that doesn't cost us a thing. I didn't feel a thing. Oh, that's easy. I'll do it again because I didn't feel a thing. You see, there's no sacrifice in this. And if you do that, you're not as smart as you think. John says it. Be what you are. Because in being what you are, we show ourselves as God's true children. We show ourselves in giving sacrificial love to others as being God's true children. And there you have it. A couple of quotes and one more thing and we're done. Timothy Keller on this said this, The Christian gospel is this, I am so flawed that Jesus had to die for me. Yet I'm so valued in love that Jesus was glad to die for me. And then John Stott, before we begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. And loved ones, when we get this, when we really get this, this, we realize that at the cross, all our temptations of thinking ourselves smart or superior to anyone else is completely thrown out the window. Why? Because it is the cross that provides the only basis for God's genuine love for us, period. Period. And it is at the cross when that love gets in us that we emanate it out to others. So yeah, we may sing of the cross, we may preach about the cross, and we may read about the cross. But until the cruciform shape life becomes the very framework of our living and thinking in this place, then our pumped up pride will be completely destroyed. It will be completely destroyed. And yet at the same time, it's at the cross that any sense of having to prove ourselves in terms of all that the world calls significant is also completely destroyed. So the issues of of money or body or intellect or lifestyle or quality of life, all, all are removed. And they mean nothing ultimately within the framework of God's love for us. And why is that so? Why is that so? Because the cross, cross is the pulpit of God's love. It is the very foundation, the very essence of God's love. So when God wants us to know his love, the very best thing he does is he takes us to the foot of the cross and he asks us to look up. And when we do, we see his naked son bleeding for our sins. And he says, this is love. This is love. 
And I hope we all believe that. And I do hope all of us have actually received that. Thank you for your attention. Let's bow together and pray. And while you're praying, while I'm praying, excuse me, we'll ask our guests to come up for one final song. And also the ushers. We are going to take an offering here in just a moment. And you can make your checks payable to uh, Minnesota Adult Teen Challenge, MNTC, MNTC, if that would be of help to you. And just one last reminder about the name tags on our table so that we can uh, know each other by first name only. And so just um, avail yourself to that. Our gracious God, we give glory to your name. What kind of love is this that climbs the hill, that bears the cross, that takes the nails? What kind of love is this that gives his life for us? Oh, Father, I pray that the very best thing for us this morning would be to be humbled by this reality and then, Father, to cherish and, and glory in this reality and then to tell as many people as possible about this reality. And God, we thank you for the food that we're going to eat and we would pray that you would bless it. We pray that you would bless our conversations this morning and make them happy and bright and clean and true and help us to give each other the kind of love that you gave us in your son, not just this morning, but every day until Christ returns or he calls us home. And one final thing, we pray your blessing over these men, God. Give them a tremendous amount of help. Restore their lives. Restore their families, marriages, whatever the case may be. And give them a clean line to walk on. And may all their days and all their nights be filled with your love and your abundance and your glory so that you would safely usher every one of these men and every one of us in here this morning, usher us safely into your heaven where the real life begins. Amen.